0: Around the Foghorn fan site, it's official San Francisco Giants podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and follow Around the Foghorn on Facebook and Twitter. And, of course, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, Make sure to leave your reviews with that five-star feedback. If you do include a question, I will answer it alongside my guest on a future episode. I am your host, Mark DeLuke, and today I'm very excited to be joined by MLB.com Colorado Rockies beat writer Thomas Harding. Thomas, thank you for joining me today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So, I've obviously been doing a lot of San Francisco Giants talk these past few months. And, you know, I've been forced by the aggressive moves the Dodgers and Padres have made to talk a lot about them. And frankly, you know, how the Giants are still far behind those two teams in the NL West. And so I wanted to bring in some different perspectives to let the Giants fans, you know, get them an insight into some other teams in the division. And I think I speak for many when I say the only real move the Rockies have made this off season that I've heard much about was the Arenado trade. But outside of that, what has been the front office's approach to building their 2021 roster?
1: Well, I think the Arenado trade pretty much had to happen because it was a huge contract for a long period of time. And right now, not only is the team struggling, they've struggled the last two years finishing fourth in the NL West, Um, but with the pandemic and the uncertainty of fans being in the stands, they had to unload some payroll. So they did that, but I think where the confusion is is this, Trevor Story do $18.5 million this year, and he's a free agent at the end of the season. They have not made a move with him. They, by all indications, whenever you ask them, they are holding on to him, believing that he's going to make a difference. And the team that struggled the last two years will find a way with very few changes, find a way to be a contender. So there is some confusion whenever people from the outside look at the Rockies and frankly, those of us who look at them, we're not sure where this is going.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, Read some of your work and kind of building off of that, you know, the Rockies ownership they have been really playing up and emphasizing the revenue decrease de- decreases this past season from the COVID-19 pandemic. Obviously, like you mentioned, not having fans in the stands. And while I'm critical, you know, of kind of owners kind of crying poor on these things, do you think? The Rockies had planned to handle the off season this way heading into last year. Or do you think the Arenado trade is like if there were regular revenues last season? Do you think Arenado gets moved?
1: I am not sure that he gets moved. However, if the team had collapsed the way it had, then there would have been that would have had to have been a consideration. And considering that Arenado was unhappy going into the season. And there was an opt out at the end of 2021. It may have happened anyhow. Where it does hurt is if you look at the Rockies, they are in the number 17 media market among major league teams, and they tend to spend right around that area. However, when they do have a bump in attendance, they got to 2.9 million in in, um, 2017 and to 3 million in 2018, which was the first time since I believe it was 2012, they had topped the, the $3 mark. Every time they do that, they put the money back into the team in terms of payroll. So the question is, um, it looked like they were willing to spend, actually willing to spend a little bit above their media market. New television contract didn't kick, doesn't kick in until um, this season, 2021. But they just didn't make the best choices or the choices that they made did not turn out well. So when a team in this type of market makes choices that don't work, often you have a readjustment of the payroll. It's just exacerbated by the COVID-19 crisis.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, I know you kind of mentioned this kind of this uncertainty around it because like you mentioned, Trevor Story is a free agent after next season and he's not traded. Arenado is, you know, obviously Ian Desmond is locked in this long-term deal. I believe Charlie Blackman is, as well, so, you know, what is the is the plan to kind of just play this out, basically make the Arenado trade to clear salary and then just play everything straight from here? Is that kind of the sense you're getting?
1: Uh, that's what it looks like. And here is one of the problems that exists here that I'm not sure exists anywhere else in baseball. Coors Field is a very tough place to build a pitching staff. But if you look at their pitching staff, especially the top four of them, Herman Marquez, Kyle Freeland, Antonio Sensatella, and John Gray all have accomplished something at the major league level. And you go back and you look at the two teams that made the playoffs in 2017 and 2018. There were holes in those teams offensively, but between solid starting pitching and a very good bullpen, they were able to make the postseason. So it's very hard for the Rockies when they do have starting pitching to turn away from it and say okay we're going to rebuild and I, that's what I think is fueling some of the thought that they could find a way to get by and see what happens this year
0: so it's essentially our basically because we're playing in Coors Field the argument is going we can you know obviously aren't going to replace Nolan Arenado but that we can try to piecemeal it enough to make up for that starting pitching essentially
1: yeah, and they haven't spent money on starting pitching on the free agent market in, in any kind of volume, not since Mike Hampton and Danny Nagel in the 2001-2002 um, debacle. Um, so, so when they do spend, it is on position players, but they tend to do so on guys who came through their systems or guys who were in their system. Um, they, they tend to do it that way rather than bid against other teams, and I'm sure they would struggle bid, bidding against other teams the top free agents, so they're looking at different ways to control the payroll. I think what what's happened here is that you go back to twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. They could put out anywhere from six to nine guys on their starting lineup any of those days on a playoff team that all either came through the Rockies organization or were acquired before they became major leaguers. That's how they held down the payroll. But what happens? if you let someone like a DJ LeMahieu go on to um, go on to the New York Yankees and you don't have that ready replacement there and maybe one or two other guys that you expected to pop, haven't popped yet. That's, that's part of what's going on with the lineup. And the one free agent decision that they did make on Ian Desmond, they paid, they spent five years and $70 million on Desmond who very good, player um, presence on a ball club had out, had spent most of his career on winners but five years 70 million for a lot of intangibles and a guy who was changing positions it just hasn't worked out the way they wanted it to
0: and so you know you, you talk about you know they, they built that kind of playoff team from the farm system from developing guys like Arenado like story like you mentioned LeMahieu Blackman um, where is the farm system? Does it have some players that, the, that might be able to break through this year and, and make a difference? Or is it kind of a lot of low down, um, lower miners talent that's probably still a few years away?
1: It looks like there's a lot of talent, low miners. By the way, with DJ Lemayhu, he did play a few games with the Chicago Cubs, but Other than that, like, for example, at one point they had a pitching rotation, they hadn't thrown a pitch for another team. So Mm. yeah, the problem is um, they have some young players. And if you look at minor league systems throughout baseball, You do pop with a few stars. How many other teams are this dependent upon their system? So you've got guys like Brian McMahon, who in the first uh, three years, three plus years in the major leagues, there have been a lot of ups and downs. You do hope that he turns into a heck of a player. I mean, Charlie Blackman had a lot of injuries his first three years in the the major leagues. You've got guys like um, Garrett Hampson, who plays a number of different positions has a lot of attributes. Is he a guy you plug in one position or different positions? Ramo Tapia, I actually think that um, if he is able to do a better job getting on base, he's a threat for a batting championship. But all around the field, it is very hard to find a bunch of stars at once in one minor league system. And that's what the Rockies are running into.
0: Yeah, and that's – Do you, what do you think led them to let – you know, I think about like a guy like David Dahl, who they had, you know, could have gone to arbitration with chosen non tender. him. I believe he still went and signed with the Texas Rangers, you know, and a, a young guy who was once a top prospect has had some really good seasons. also a lot of injuries. Was that another case of they just are really constraining this budget and that few million dollars they weren't willing to spend. Is that what that comes down to?
1: It looks like two. It looks like twofold. They decided that if they were going to spend it, they were going to spend it on pitching. I know there was some speculation about them non-tendering John Gray all along. And I wrote about this even early in the process. I did not believe they were going to do that, even though his number came in at over $6 million. So it really got down to, we're going to keep all of our pitchers. We've got to let somebody go. We're going to let Dahl go. He does have an injury history and this would be a big test case for one of the things that this franchise battles, which is when you're going in and out of this atmosphere, which is different from anywhere else because of the um, the lighter air here, it, t- it does take a toll on players' bodies. And David Dahl had a number of injuries. If he goes to Texas and stays healthy, is it that he was just ready to be a healthy player and everything worked out? Or is it that there was something about this atmosphere that affected him and is always going to be something that the Rockies deal with? That's a big question. I believe that the health issue had as much to do with the decision of David Dahl as the money. Um, And we'll see if that decision works, because frankly, when I look at this at this group, if you were going to trade Nolan Arenado, I can't I, I would not have gone into a season without David Dahl. When you go when you basically subtract two all-star players. And Dahl was an all-star in 2019. Then you start thinking, why not go full rebuild? Why not trade a Trevor Story? That may be the best deal that will get you parts back. Um, The Arenado deal was a cash dump. You do not always get good players. Uh, I I shouldn't say good players, but you do do not always get known quantities back in a cash dump. You usually get young minor leaguers, and uh, they, they did get a guy at the back of the rotation, Um, Austin Gomber, they did get him at the back of the rotation, but you don't get the prime prospects in that type of deal. That's the type of deal that you trade a Trevor Story in and see if you can build that way. So that's why there are questions, why are the Rockies holding on to story?
0: Yeah, and so you mentioned that unique environment, obviously, that, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the altitude, like you mentioned, the air, obviously, Coors Field, notorious, you know, for, you know, easy offense, difficult pitching. Um, what are things does the team, because I imagine that that sort of leads the team to kind of have to innovate in unique ways. Obviously, they're dealing with problems, no other teams do when it comes to trying to both develop their prospects and and help you know recently acquired players like Gomber or like when they sign an Ian Desmond you know what are kind of the things the organization does to try to get their roster as prepared and ready to kind of deal with this weird stark contrast that really no other team has to
1: Um, Very early in Jeff Breidich's tenure as general manager, and he had been farm director, they did a whole lot of things when it came to nutrition. At one time, they actually, at the lowest levels of minors, actually bought the meals from a company, and there was a van that followed the teams around, fed them that way. They pay a lot of attention to sleep, rest, and recovery. Uh, You you see guys using approved sleep aids to see if that works. Um, The... Other thing that I want to see is this. With the new minor league structure, they have two new affiliates, Fresno and Spokane. I want to see how those parks play because in the past, all of their parks were very hitter friendly. Mm -hmm. So if you were going to pitch in the Rockies organization, you had to deal with that. If you were going to hit in the Rockies organization, you had to deal with a home park and conditions that were very favorable and almost like leaving that planet when you go on the road. So we'll see if uh, that continues with the new affiliates in in Fresno and Spokane.
0: Yeah, I can speak to Fresno a bit because that was the Giants AAA affiliate for years. Obviously in the Pacific Coast League, it's a hitter friendly um, park, at least sort of as I understood it to be, but it is a, you know, it is no right Albuquerque or Lancaster um, you know, kind of two, two parks. I you know they're kind of notorious for, like you said, you're really just in a different planet when you see um, those box scores from there.
1: Yes, and, and, and sometimes it's hard to control where you end up in the minors. Like, for example, uh, they were in New Britain, Connecticut, and Hartford was going to build a new stadium. They ended up playing on the road all year uh, for, for one season while the stadium was getting ready. And all of the tests and all of the beliefs were that that park was going to in Hartford was going to play pretty evenly. They get in there for games and it's a hitter's park, so the Rockies kind of fell into that one in that particular case. So um, right now they are training their hitters and pitchers in hitter-friendly atmospheres, and that and that helps quite a bit. Uh, another thing that I've seen in the system is the use of of a lot of data and technology. They were using it a lot in the minors and it filtered up to the major league level last season and had a real effect with the starting pitching. I understand that some of that is going on in the minors with the Rockies. The problem is they like to think of a lot of what they do as proprietary so they don't talk much about it. But we'll see if there's a crop of players that weren't quite in double A. I think one, Colton Welker, who could be in the first base picture, he was in double A. Before the shutdown, but other than that, none of the guys had even reached double A, but there are a number of hitters that i 'm looking at thinking they 're not on prospect list because they didn 't play a minor league season last year, but if they end up making progress, then um, they could actually get some help from a system that has really been derided uh, by most of the people that rank farm systems
0: yeah, and so you know I, one of the bigger names I do think about who has played for the Rockies a bit is Brendan rogers. Um, where is kind of his fit now with with this organization where do you see him do do you see him finally kind of getting consistent everyday playing time yeah
1: that's what when you talk to the Rockies they really feel that if he gets the consistent everyday playing time some of what we've seen at the major league level which is bat speed that that much slower than what you saw at the minor leagues that if he can get that consistent playing time you'll start to see what the Rockies saw when they drafted him in the first round, and what other people saw when they had him a top uh, anywhere from from eight to twenty prospect. Um, we haven't seen that yet. He'll get a chance probably at second base with Ryan McMahon, who's moving over to the third base. If you see him turn the corner, then suddenly it's like, okay, he is a player. Um, what's happened, I think, at the major league level is that he's had a couple of shoulder injuries, so automatically because we make decisions and we look at snapshots and make determinations off of them he's almost treated as if he's a bust but i've watched a player who um has really gotten to the big league level and gotten an education how to work out um how to um hopefully how to avoid some of the injuries although a couple of the shoulder injuries were unavoidable, but maybe how to avoid some injury, how to actually play at the big league level. The speed of the game is a little bit different. He has a chance to be a very good player for them, but um, it is proving time for him right here.
0: Yeah, and that's been one of the interesting things for the Rockies these last few years. And again, I'm not super familiar with the system, but yeah, you see the top guys, you're kind of the top of the list. And you know, like guys, you know, like Rogers, like Ryan McMahon, like Hampson, were all prospects who I was fairly high on. I, I thought, you know, that they were well positioned to reinforce, you know, the the offense that you mentioned had gotten them to postseason contention originally. And there just has been kind of this slate where they seem to have you know plateaued and they're obviously still young early 20s mid 20s you know and there's still plenty of times for things to develop and you just wonder like you said that's kind of the difficult predicament I imagine if you're a Rockies front office person you're in or really anyone looking at this team is you're looking at you're going you know is would this be happening if this player wasn't dealing with on top of the challenges that every big leaguer faces when they finally, you know, get to the major league baseball, you're dealing with difficult pitching, obviously the travel schedule on all these things, but you're dealing with the added thing of being in Denver, being in the altitude and and all those things. You just wonder, is that slowing development for these guys? And could it be letting them uh, setting up to potentially have a breakout this season or, you know, down the line?
1: Yeah, if you look at um, Hampson and Rommel Tapia, each of those guys, you 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 look at some playing time patterns. When they've been forced into playing time, you see some of what you, some some of the things that you that you were excited about at the at the minor league level. But you also saw some periods where they struggled and ended up ended up even having to come out of the lineup for a bit. Maybe some of that has to do with the fact that. Um, guys who could use a little bit more time in AAA were Mm forced into the major leagues last year. And also, I was having a conversation last week with Dave Magan and the Rockies hitting coach, and he was saying, and I think that this goes throughout baseball, not just the young players, but when things shut down in the spring, there was that long layoff before summer camp began. And with social distancing and, and all the fears and concerns and closed facilities, The best that a lot of guys could do is hit in a cage. We're hitting in a cage um, under any condition, even if you dial it up to major league level is not hitting against a a pitcher who's trying to get you out. And I think that if you fall into bad habits there and just reinforce them for two, three months, it's hard to break those when you're facing a major league pitcher so um, some of the top stars in the game went through that also so it's not just young players so was was this a team are the in other words the, the Rockies they're they're very easy it seems to kick because of the decisions with Aronado with and and the controversy the hard feelings between Arenado and Jeff Breidich and the fact that the teams never won a, won a world series but is there a possibility that they are correct, that um, a somewhat normal season with somewhat normal playing time, guys they've been counting on, will end up being very good players for them?
0: And so, you know, with that in mind, where do you see them stacking up in the National League West? Yeah, I think everyone is kind of – at least I imagine you're in agreement the Dodgers and Padres are kind of in a league of their own. But there's that next three of teams, the Giants, the Rockies, the Diamondbacks, who, you know – you can all look at them and see obvious flaws, see concerns, see why they're going to struggle. You can also talk yourself into them, you know, maybe having, you know, not obviously necessarily passing Dodgers and Padres, but having sort of a surprise um, sort of, uh, I guess, bounce back or resurgence season in a sense. How do you see the Rockies in comparison to those other teams?
1: Yeah, it it is odd um, because when I watched the Giants last year, My thinking at the end of the season, they didn't make the playoffs. They almost got in, and that was almost, uh, I almost thought a bit miraculous that they almost got in, but they didn't get in. However, I thought, what happens if they invest in that roster? Maybe, I I don't know if they were hurt as much by the pandemic as as other teams were. The, The Padres and Dodgers don't act like they were at all, but the Giants, what if they made a couple more moves and maybe got more consistent in the bullpen and got one or two more pieces? How close are they? You don't look at the Rockies the same way. You, you look at the Rockies as being a team that it would be a major surprise. And only after the fact, would you think that they were in it? The Diamondbacks are a team I'm not sure about. I mean, they, that roster has gone through many changes over, over the last few years. Here's the other thing. When, when I watch how the Rockies are operating and it's a, it's a strange thing because you're seeing the Padres make a whole lot of moves. You saw them make a bunch of moves that really worked for them last season. It's almost as if, and I don't know if you get this vibe from the Giants or the other teams, it's almost as if the Rockies don't totally believe in the Padres that, yeah, they've gotten there, but are the Padres, the Rockies of a few years ago or the Rockies and Diamondbacks. If you remember in 2018, the Dodgers they lost the season series to two teams in all of baseball, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. You just wonder sometimes when, when, when I look at how the Rockies are thinking, I wonder if they actually believe in the San Diego Padres, which um, I, I would say it's hard not to because they've made a lot of good moves. And the question with them is, can they maintain like the Rockies and the Diamondbacks did not?
0: Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's an interesting Um, perspective look at and to be fair part of it right you know if you're a general manager right you know you you have to be playing to win right you have to kind of be looking at it It is interesting to think about um you know again where i sit where you sit. it's very easy to um you know put the dodgers and the Padres at the top of frankly i think major league baseball right now i think there's a conversation for that but it is something where for what do these other three teams how do they approach that because i think that's going to be really interesting to see is again why i think it made Someone could have talked, you know, the Rockies – you talk someone into the Rockies doing a full beat rebuild, right, where they move Arenado, they move Story, they move all these guys saying we're going to kick kind of the can down the road a couple seasons. The Giants, it seems like, have been acting, you know, almost – um to kind of put it like with that respect right like the Giants as you mentioned I think there was a case if they'd been aggressive and gotten some of the top starting pitchers on this free agent market right because I think the starting pitching depth was clearly alongside that bullpen a question mark they've done a lot to kind of strengthen that bullpen but the starting pitching is definitely still an area where there's some questions but they didn't do that right they haven't sort of done that foray into the top part of the starting pitching market yet. And I think that's something that we'd expect to see in the next couple of years. But I think there's something to be said for too, is that, you know, I think the giants might've been a team that would have made a call about you, Darvish would have made calls about Blake Snell, but just weren't willing to go to the place that the Padres were because they are, they don't see themselves in that window yet. I think the giants see their window in that maybe 2022, probably definitely 2023 uh, um, and on. It's just interesting to see how these different teams are handling these timelines. The Diamondbacks are also just a really interesting one because, again, coming into last year, they looked like you know, they'd added a lot of talent. They looked primed, and then it seemed like at the, by the deadline, they'd then done an about-face and you know, trade Marte and, and do all these other things. It's really interesting to see where they go from here.
1: Yeah, the Diamondbacks, in fact, um, are the Diamondbacks a cautionary tale for the Padres or are the Diamondbacks may, or, or are the Padres what maybe the, the Diamondbacks should have been. In other words, mm-hmm. one of the things that the Padres have done is they they do they did make some trades. Now they, remember, they attempted to bring in veterans and try to win quickly. It fell apart in dramatic ways, and A.J. Preller um, rebuilt in a completely different manner. But w- a lot of their trades sometimes they give up top prospects, but often they'll make another trade that will bring them more prospects. So they're they're really attacking it from two ends. Yeah, they're re- replenishing and improving the major league roster, but it seems like they always find a way to keep kind of a group of prospects there to make more deals in the future. It sounds like something that the Tampa Bay Rays have done over the years. And we'll see if that works for the San Diego Padres, because at some point, the Bills are going to going to come due. All that pitching, the Bills are going to, going to come due. Fernando Tatis Jr., what's going to happen when he starts making money? So the, so the Padres right now, I think that um, fair play to them. They're aggressive at this point, but it does look like they're also trying to find a way to ensure that they don't have to do a major overhaul in the future. With the Giants, and I remember bringing this up and thinking about it, um, if, if this had been an earlier era, where teams, a, a lot of trades were driven by contract issues, you know, you trade a contract that's cumbersome for you, for maybe two or three that's cumbersome for the, for the other team, and then continue to work it, I thought that they could have maybe worked a deal for Arenado if the Rockies were interested in trading him in the National League West. If the Rockies were going to take a step back and rebuild, which everybody thinks they're doing, Why not take a contract of of an Evan Longoria and a Brandon Belt as part of um, an Arenado deal and let Arenado um, go go to the Giants? That was one that when I was looking at possible teams, Giants came up on my radar because I thought, and I think it's been proven, that there wasn't a huge market for that contract. And that's why the Rockies did not get back either proven major leaguers or major prospects.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think there was actually a fan who reached out uh, to our site sort of talking about that, saying, hey, maybe the Giants could send back a Longoria um, and, and another contract or something. And I think it was. It, it would be interesting. Again, you don't know. It's hard to know what the Rockies said. Basically, there's an extra price you would have to pay in the NL West. I imagine they don't want to have to face Arenado that many times on the schedule. But I think it would have definitely been warranted at least a call. And the other thing about the Padres that I think, like you mentioned, it, it gets – I don't know if skated over is just isn't something a lot of people are thinking about. It's like you mentioned when Preller came in, he made that he traded for Craig Kimbrell and Derek Norris and Melvin and Justin Upton. He, he made these aggressive win down moves with a system that at the time was viewed quite strongly. And then like you mentioned, it didn't work out and to his credit, he then did a good job of turning uh, He signed James Shields. And then he turned those, When it didn't work out, he turned James Shields into Fernando Tatis Jr. He traded um, Craig Kimbrell for some top prospects from uh, the Boston Red Sox and whatnot. But coming into this offseason, I was wondering, because one of my friends lives in San Diego, is a big Padres fan. He was, you know, really excited about the team and asking me what I thought. And my thing with Preller was, I know he can get prospects and identify young talent. What I hadn't seen yet is his ability outside, you know, the Machado signing obviously made sense, but it's Manny Machado. That doesn't you know take necessarily a lot of um, you know in-depth analysis to say, go get Manny Machado. I was skeptical of what Preller could do aggressively to fill out this roster. And I've been impressed with what he's done, but you know until it plays on the field next season, there's always room um, for things to change. And what I do think is interesting about the Padres is like you mentioned with Tetis, right? they have him through arbitration for the next three seasons. And it does feel like You know, if this ownership group is willing to spend long term, that changes it. But this ownership group has been one that hasn't been. This isn't a market that has been one that's spent with the top teams. It does kind of feel to me like this is what you do when you say, all oh, right, we know we're not going to re-sign Tatis, and we're going to invest in these next three years to try to win as many titles as we can before he leaves in free agency. Now, again, they could sign him to some big $400 million extension tomorrow, and that obviously changes. But I just do wonder is, again, like you mentioned, that bill comes due, how long are they willing to spend like this? If you're a Padres fan, if you're a baseball fan, you should hope you know, that the ownership group has said, yeah, we're going to spend because we want to win. But it, there is a reality of that. Owners generally don't do that. And so I, I do think that's an interesting thing. I thought um, they signed Hassan Kim, who is a top you know, co- uh, Korean prospect who you know, lots of people said is a big league-ready shortstop. I thought that was really interesting that the Padres were the team that signed him because it, it sort of put up my radar that you know, is that kind of someone who you know, they have Manny Machado has experience at shortstop, but he'll be older by that point. But are they signing a young guy that kind of gives them that insurance if they aren't able to lock up Tatis long-term?
1: and a lot of times too, um, and not having not, not having scouted him. Sometimes when you sign a shortstop, you're really looking at second base there. Like okay. I remember the experience uh, in in Japan with um, with Kaz Matsui, that the Mets signed him to be their shortstop, but a whole lot of teams that scouted him. Felt like he was a second baseman, and the Rockies got him in a trade, and he really was a difference maker at second base. So there is that uh, part of it is signing all the good guys that that you need. Here's another X factor in San Diego: is that it's a. Um, I'm, I'm certain it's a smaller market than Denver, one of the maybe the smallest market in the National League West. But when it comes to sponsorship, when it, when it comes to television and everything else there's not another major league sports franchise in San Diego. And you wonder if maybe they can punch a little bit above the market weight and they're going to take advantage of it based on that. Will they spend like the Los Angeles Dodgers? Nobody spends like the Los Angeles Dodgers. I mean, the only team that could is in a good year, the San Francisco Giants. They can spend somewhere near that um, because because of the market size. But if the Padres are able to punch a little bit above their weight, And make good decisions and constantly keep good prospects to where you can either trade them and get what you want or use them. Um, uh, The example I look at is the teams of the um, early 2000s, late 90s of the St. Louis Cardinals, how they did that. They were experts at that. If the Padres can become this era's Cardinals, they may be able to build a winner and sustain it, but we've got to see that happen. I know that we're ready to crown the Padres as um, the smartest team that's ever lived at this point, and they may be, but um, as, as, um, to paraphrase Dennis Green, I'm not ready to crown them.
0: That is MLB.com Colorado Rockies beat writer Thomas Harding. You can follow him on Twitter at Harding underscore at spelled out A-T underscore M-L-B. Thomas, thank you for joining me today on the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And thanks for patiently reading that bizarre Twitter handle that I have. Okay. <laughs>
0: Hey, it's all good. We got to keep the people informed. And if you want to stay up to date on all giants, news, and rumors, make sure to stay tuned to AroundTheFoghorn.com. I am your host, Mark delucci You can follow me on Twitter at M-A-D-D-E-L-U-C-C-H-I. Thank you very much for joining us on this 15th episode of Sound the Foghorn. Until next time, have a good one and stay safe. <laughs>